You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm your host, Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today, we're going to be talking about something that sounds like it wouldn't exist, but it does, and it's delicious. It's vegan fast food. And uh, we're going to be talking today with Jeffrey Harris, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Plant Power Fast Food. And they're uh, a chain that's based uh, in San Diego currently, and uh, but they're looking to uh, you know expand the footprint and uh, and take not just their brand but their message uh, throughout the whole wide world. So welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks for for being a guest today. Thank you, Barbara. It's great to be here. So um, I guess first, ex- uh, you know, tell me what your connection to the plant-based lifestyle is that connects you to this brand? That's a great question. Well, in my particular case, I became a vegetarian when I was about 14 years old. I don't want to tell you what year that is, but it was a long, long time ago. Um, and back then, I thought I was the only one. I didn't, I, was, I didn't know any other vegetarians. And, and in my case, as a, as a kid, I was 14, actually, um, I did that for the animals. I was aware that... Um, that, you know, I kind of became aware that the meat that I was eating was actually made from animals. And I just realized that I didn't want to participate in that anymore. And then later in life, when I was in my mid thirties, I went all the way vegan or completely plant-based. So for me, it started as an ethical part of my life. And then of course, as I went down that journey, I also began to appreciate the health aspects. And then of course, later in life, the environmental impact that animal agriculture has on our planet. And so it just seemed for me on every level, it was something that I could do um, to improve my own life, um, the welfare of animals, and also the planet. So let's talk about the origin of plant power. Um, and you have two partners. Um, so how did you guys get together? And you know, how did you come up with this idea? Great question. So um, you know, about 12 years ago, I kind of started having this crazy idea of what I would describe to people as a vegan version of McDonald's. Um, the whole idea of going right into the heart of fast food, but doing it as a plant-based concept. And of course, everyone thought I was completely crazy. They said, dude, nobody's going to eat your veggie burgers. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And you know, as you know, this is long before Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat all came onto the scene. And so I basically went on a search for many years. You know, I had been in the corporate world and I felt that I had some of the skills that I needed, but I definitely lacked some operational skills. You know, I'd worked in restaurants as a waiter and a busboy and all that stuff, but I've never really opened a restaurant or knew how to do that. So I really kind of went out there and just started talking to people and Googling and hiring consultants, hoping that I would find a partner that had the same vision I had, but that had the skill set that I lacked. And after many years of searching, uh, I had a dear friend of mine introduce me to Mitch Wallace, uh, and he was very famous in San Diego for opening a number of iconic vegan restaurant concepts, including a, a restaurant that is still existing today called Evolution Fast Food. I called Mitch. I fell in love with the guy. I went down there and I met him, and I realized that Mitch, you know, had the same vision I had for vegan fast food. In fact, he may have opened the first vegan fast food restaurant in San Diego, and he also had the skill set that I lacked. 
And then with Mitch came Zach Voga, who was a young man at the time working at Mitch's restaurant, who really injected a lot of discipline into the operation. He, he was very good at cost of goods and labor. And so Mitch introduced me to Zach. And in 2014, uh, the three of us started to uh, meet regularly in the back of Mitch's restaurants uh, to plot our diabolical overthrow of the traditional fast food industry. And uh, it, was, uh, it took a while to find the right people. But once you get the right team, you know, things are a lot easier. And I think one of the greatest blessings in my life was to meet these two guys because they are not only phenomenal operators, but inspired um, and just lovely. So let's talk about the food. So in prep for this, I uh, looked at a lot of videos of people eating your food. Um, and, you know, what struck me was, you know, looking at your menu that it's, you know, you go in there and you feel comfortable because it's it reminds you of a typical fast food menu with kind of familiar sounding breakfast and lunch and dinner items. Um, so was that like a conscious effort um, to, um, you know, make guests who may not be familiar with vegan food or maybe uncomfortable with it or or had bad experiences in the past, you know, kind of feel more comfortable um, that if, if they think it's similar to a food item that they've had in the past. Yeah, you know, we very specifically wanted to go to fast food because it's a familiar, convenient format that everybody understands. Um, also, we wanted to have an impact. So, you know, if I had opened up Jeffrey's Veggie Shack and served bowls of brown rice, tofu, broccoli, and some tahini sauce, uh, I would I would have loved it. And of course, all the vegans and the vegetarians would show up for sure. But we very specifically wanted to create an idea that was very comfortable for people who weren't thinking about going plant-based or vegan, but people who just wanted to go ahead and try a healthier version of fast food. So, you know, as I, as a kid, I grew up on McDonald's and we have a Big Zac on our menu that literally tastes exactly like the Big Mac that I remember from when I was a kid. So our idea was rather than try to convince millions of people to come to a, you know, kind of a hippie, healthy, you know, vegan place. Let's give them the fast food that they're comfortable with and make it very, very easy for them to explore something new. So tell me about some of the more popular items. Well, our big Zach, which is, you know, we named after my partner, Zach, um, is actually one of our most popular items. And that's actually patterned after the McDonald's Big Mac. I'm saying this out loud on your podcast and I'm waiting for the lawsuit. It should be about two weeks from now. Um, uh, you know, our bacon cheeseburger, um, our chicken wrap. So I'd say, you know, we have a menu that has a spectrum from burgers and wraps and chicken tenders. And I'm using air quotes, of course, when I say chicken tenders, all the way to healthier wraps and salads and even raw items. But the, the majority of our business really comes from the kind of core of what you would consider traditional fast food, the burger, the fries the chicken tender and the shake or the soda. That's really where most of our business is. And then of course, you know, the girlfriends or wives bring their husbands, they get the bacon cheeseburger and the girlfriends and wives, maybe they get the, uh, you know, the avocado quinoa salad. So you, you, you do see some of that as well, but our burgers are really kind of the key to our brand and the core of our business. And you also have breakfast. Oh my God. The breakfast is unbelievable. Yeah. When we first started this business, we did not open with breakfast, but we always wanted to pattern ourselves a bit after what McDonald's did with breakfast. You know, the, 
the McMuffins and things like that. So we've got an extensive breakfast menu that really looks like a traditional fast food breakfast menu, but with some stuff that you might not find elsewhere, like, uh, you know, the uh, chicken waffle, you know, uh, sandwich and all sorts of cool stuff. It's it's really fun. So what are your favorite go-to items? You know, it's funny. I get stuck on stuff just like anyone else does. At the moment, I'm kind of stuck on our uh, classic cheeseburger and I add avocado. Um, sometimes uh, for about a year, I was stuck on our chicken wrap, which is just unbelievable. So those are my kind of two go-tos these days. I'll either do like a burger, um, add some avo just for fun, or I'll get one of our chicken wraps. Who's your customer? That is the big question. So let's talk about trends for just a moment. In the U.S., um, people who work in the restaurant industry have identified a new class of customers that we refer to as flexitarians. So the flexitarians aren't vegans. They're not vegetarians. They're not wearing a t-shirt that says meat is murder, right? Um, they are regular folks that are eating lighter on the spectrum, more plant-based, more veggie burgers. Um, they want to bring their cholesterol down. And most people feel that the U.S. population, that that group in the U.S. is now about 25%. So our target market are not vegans or vegetarians because they come. I mean, they, they hear plant-based fast food and they'll drive for an hour to get there. Our target market is everybody who would like a healthier, um, easier to consume, easier to digest alternative. And, and that's exactly who our customer is. So in one way, our customer is really everybody. The food still is, you know, it's a little on the indulgent side. I mean, I don't think I'd be eating a big Zach every single day. Um, so was that kind of uh, a choice to kind of encourage um, maybe not, um, you know, meat eaters to, you know, to try it because they'll, you know, they'll get hooked. And also for the, you know, the angle of that they're doing something uh, better for the planet. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So our, our menu is literally um, this kind of a spectrum from what I would describe as healthier, right? So, you know, one of our burgers probably still has some calories in it. It's not going to be like, you know, one eighth or one quarter of the calories that you might get from a burger. But right away, we've removed all of the cholesterol because there's no animal products. We've also removed artificial flavorings and colorings. And of course, it's GMO free as well. So we, I'd uh, say the kind of burgery part of our menu, uh, if you're on a diet, you don't want to go there every day. And that's healthier. And then we have the spectrum all the way to our salads, and even our raw taco, which is pretty darn healthy. So we wanted to meet people where they are and basically catch them right where they are and show them a much healthier alternative. You know, our, our items certainly tend to be lower calorie than a, than a real burger with cheese, um, but it's not the same as a, you know, a nice salad. So I watched a number of videos where it was meat eaters having these burgers for the first time and, and really, you know, getting into it. Um, so, you know, when you talk to customers, what kind of reactions do they have? You know, about two years ago, I was at our location in Encinitas, California, and I always love talking to our customers. And this woman kind of realized I was one of the founders and she walked up and she said, my God, that was the best grass-fed burger that I've ever had. So, she was looking at our, our branding and kind of getting the echo vibe, and it didn't really occur to her that this was plant-based. And of course, a lot of people like to fool their friends, you know, they'll pick up some plant power food and maybe throw it in a Burger King bag or something and say, check it out. 
So what we hear from people is that they're, they're just, they're just blown away. Um, uh, you know, the kind of meat analog and vegan, uh, industry these days is moving towards what I would call, you know, more of the meat analog, as I said, and less of the kind of the veggie hippie burger of the seventies. And I think that that is an, an effort to make this palatable to people who think that they need meat to have the texture and the taste that they want. And we're showing people that they really don't, that you can have the texture and the taste that you're craving, but in a plant-based alternative. And we love talking to our customers because most of them aren't vegans or vegetarians and they always have great things to say. So when I walk in the door, um, what's the guest experience like? Um, and you really had something really cool. You have um, a Burger Bangers monthly playlists. Um, yeah. So how does that kind of add to the ambiance? Uh, well, my partner, Zach, um, thankfully, is young and cool, unlike Mitch and I. We're not young or cool, but Zach's definitely young and cool. And Zach and some people in his life actually curate that list. And, you know, having that kind of musical experience that people relate to that, you know, creates a happy vibe and a good feeling is really an important part of the experience. And then rather than just kind of paying for a third-party service to curate for us, Zach and his team actually do the curation themselves. And, and I think it's really added to the ambiance. And then for people that are really into music, you know, they can, they can log on and, and find out who's playing and what's going on. And, and we're kind of just broadening, you know, the guest experience. So a number of chains have added Impossible Burger or Beyond Meat to their menus. Um, so do you assess that that's your competition or who else do you think is your competition? You know, um, great question, Barbara. I'd say two or three or four years ago, when people said to me, who is your competition? I would very clearly say Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Burger King. You know, we are a fast food company and we are a plant-based alternative. Now we've got a lot of um, fast food giants like uh, Carl's Jr. doing the Beyond Burger and uh, Burger King doing the Impossible Burger. KFC is going to be doing Beyond Chicken and it goes on and on and on. We actually predicted five years ago that one day the major brands would actually add plant-based options to the menus. And people thought we were out of our minds, you know. They said that'll never happen. But conscious of the trend, we, 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 kind, of, we kind of saw that happening long before it did. So on one level, we're actually glad that it's happening. We think that it's good for people's health and for the planet and for the animals to have the major brands add plant-based options. So we're happy about that. But here's what we found. What we're found is they're kind of changing the ecosystem and they're kind of changing what's cool. Carl's Jr. actually did a vegan burger ad uh, during the Super Bowl last year. Uh, and that, you know, suddenly a vegan burger, which you think is the least macho thing in the world, suddenly became kind of cool. So on one level, they're changing what's okay, what's kind of allowed, what's kind of expected. But the reason that we don't consider them a competitive threat is because of one important word, and that's brand. And the other reason is brand. And so when I say brand, what I mean is the giants out there have done a great job doing what they do. They can't really pivot and become a plant-based brand. I don't see them necessarily in the short term, you know, using biodegradable non-plastics for their straws and forks and knives or implementing solar power at their locations. When people think of plant power, they know they can walk in there. It's broad spectrum. They can get it at like our version of the Egg McMuffin or the Big Zac or our bacon cheeseburger or the chicken wrap or the shake. 
and 100% of our offerings are plant-based. They don't have to guess. They don't have to worry. And in fact, you know, uh, you know, the more carnivorous consumers are really thrilled, you know, with our meat-like offerings. But I think that even people who aren't plant-based, I think there's something about our brand that appeals to them. I do think that consumers are drawn to brands that feel authentic and that they brands that are identified with having a very specific mission. And so, you know, the, the big boys out there have done a phenomenal job of branding over the years, of course, in all of the various ways that they do that. But I don't think that they've captured what I would call the aspirational imagination of consumers to give their business and their dollars to some company that's really making a difference in the world. And I think that we've captured people's imaginations in that regard. Yeah, I think that leads into, you know, something that I saw on your site that your partner, Zach, said, our brand isn't preachy, the food itself is the message. Um, so can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, we, we, we want to welcome everyone with love. And what I mean by that is, you know, you don't walk into a plant power with a fur coat and have somebody throw red paint on your fur coat and say, meat is murder. That's not who we are. Um, everyone's welcome with love. You know, Democrat, Republican, hunters, environmentalists. Our message is, first of all, welcome and we love you. And that's for two reasons. Of course, it's good business. But secondly, that's actually what we want to bring to the world. We really don't want pe people to come in here to feel judged, to feel like we're preaching a message to them. The message really is the plant-based food with, that we feed them and the love with which we feed it. It's just as simple as that. And then I think that if people are on a journey towards exploring new dietary changes, what we are doing is showing them opportunities and choices and possibilities that they may not have imagined before. But if you walk into a plant power, you know, let's say you're a mom or a dad and you bring your kids in, it's not my job to tell your kids what real hamburgers are made out of. <laughs> no, that's not what we do. So it's really about being welcoming and loving because the world does need more of that and just giving people food that they, that they will have a beautiful experience with. So as you were discussing before, you know, plant-based food has kind of transcended the trend um, and it's really soared in popularity over the past few years, you know, and people really want to know what's in their food. So have you noticed um, the customer's knowledge level um, over the past few years um, and their interest in plant-based food has increased? Very, very much so. Um, uh, we, we were getting... Um... We were getting a lot of requests for the last two or three years to have nutritional information available on our website. And it took us quite a while to get that to happen. Now we have a really wonderful interactive tool. You can pull up a burger, put cheese on or cheese off, avocado, add a patty, and you can literally see the nutritional information change as you kind of build out um, whatever inquiry you would like to find out about. And there was a lot of energy coming from both plant-based customers and non-plant-based customers to understand what's in their food. In addition, there's a lot of concern out there for people these days about gluten. And of course, people have allergies. And so there's a lot of interest in what exactly is in that. Uh, and then if you kind of dice it down a little further and you go into the vegan and vegetarian world, they want to know, are you, is this an impossible burger or is this a Beyond Meat burger? And of course, we're not actually selling either of those products, even though we're big fans of those companies. We have our own proprietary product that we create. Um, and we have a great understanding of the nutritional profile of the food that we're offering as well. But yeah, people are definitely getting into it. And there's a lot of variety out there. So just, I guess, just give me some basic facts 
Um, you know, in what ways are is plant-based food better for you and better for the planet? That's another great question. So first of all, let's be honest. If it's just because it's plant-based doesn't mean it's better for you. And what I mean by that is uh, I have discovered plant-based croissants. But I think that if you do more than five of those a day, that's not very good for you. Um, there are plant-based donut shops. <laughs> so um, being plant-based um, from a nutritional point of view does not necessarily mean that it's healthier food. But we're serving food that is plant-based that we really feel has a great nutritional um, signature. So the first thing that happens when you're plant-based is all of the cholesterol is gone. So, you know, that stuff that will clog your arteries and have a negative impact on your health in a variety of ways disappears. We now know that animal products are a huge contributor to heart disease, strokes, hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, and cancer. There are studies now linking cooked meat with cancer. So the moment that you take animal products out, you've completely transformed your health profile. But you, if you take it the next step and you, you uh, use products that are free of artificial ingredients, chemicals, flavorings, colorings, things like that, that's a huge impact. That has a very positive impact on health as well. And this is something that's not well known or studied, and I'm not an expert, but if you eat food the way it grows on the planet without adding a lot of uh, chemicals and additives, you have a much better chance of moving towards optimal health. And how better for the planet. Exactly. And that's really what we're about. So, it, you know, I had a friend of mine recently go to one of our restaurants. I said, what did you think? And he said, well, it tastes like a burger. Uh, I don't understand why I should order your burger versus a real burger. And, you know, okay, that's a great question. And the answer for me is the planet, climate change, carbon emissions, animal welfare. So some people will simply buy our products because it's cholesterol free and it's healthier. But um, many people, especially younger people, are very, very cognizant of the impact that animal agriculture has on the environment and climate change. And for moral and ethical reasons, they would like to reduce their consumption of animal products. So I think a lot of people come at it from different angles. 2020 was a tough year for many restaurants. Um, so how did you guys fare during, you know, still doing during the pandemic? We actually did very well. So one of the things that emerged from the pandemic in the food industry is that um, QSR or fast food restaurants were considered an essential service. So I got to tell you, you know, we've been doing this thing for years and I've always wondered what is going to come and kill us, right? Is it a tsunami, a civil war, which I think we got kind of close to, uh, a tornado? Uh, none of us were thinking pandemic. I guess we should have been watching more pandemic movies. Um, so the first thing that happened when, when uh, COVID-19 really kind of struck at the beginning of March was that our sales plummeted very quickly for about five or six weeks. And I think that that was because there was a state of fear and paralysis out there. People were kind of locked down at home. But at some point, fast food restaurants became a vehicle for people to get out, get some food. They couldn't dine in anymore. They couldn't sit down, but they could drive through or they could drive up or they can um, advance order or they can order through third party like, you know, uh, uh, Postmates or Uber Eats. And so what we found about midway through April we started making a very rapid recovery. And in fact, at the second half of 2020, same store sales were up over 2019. 
Now, if you break it down a little bit, restaurants that we had that did not have drive up or drive through service were, uh, you know, impacted more. And drive and restaurants that we had that had drive through or drive up service, actually sales went up. So in our case, it worked out well. Of course, we feel terrible for all the restaurateurs out there with, you know, sit down restaurants or fast casual restaurants that weren't able to adapt. But our particular model really, really held up uh, uh, during COVID. And to this day, uh, right now in Los Angeles and Southern California, where we operate, San Diego, the Inland Empire, Long Beach, we don't have uh, patio or in-restaurant dining at the moment. So we are actually surviving and thriving with drive-up, drive-through, mobile order and pickup, third-party. So we actually are doing quite well right now. I think that the QSR model... Uh, you know, no one thought about it, but that was really, really well uh, adapted naturally for a pandemic. So in 2021, you're poised for growth. You have seven locations currently, um, but you're you brought on some new executives and you're planning to open some uh, new locations. Um, so can you detail what those plans are and why now? Yes. Um, well, first of all, we, we never got into this to open five or 10 or 15 or even 20 restaurants, right? So we wanted to have a social impact. We wanted to expose millions of people to the possibilities of trying a plant-based diet. And we wanted to expose the entire restaurant industry to the idea of biodegradable packaging, using solar power in a fast food restaurant. All of these things that we wanted to do the kind of impact that we have, we can't really have as much as we'd like to with 20 or 30 restaurants. To do that, we really need to have 80 or 100 or 200 restaurants. And so we knew from the very beginning that we wanted to kind of be big. And we're thrilled with how well we've done so far. So at the end of our fifth year in, in business, uh, we have seven restaurants, an LA-based food truck. But we also have another eight restaurants in development and 21 more additional restaurants in the franchise development pipeline. Now, here's the key. I think the three founders are pretty good. Um, I mean, my, my two co-founders are better operators than I am. But I don't think that um, the kind of structure that we had two or three years ago would have been able to um, really build a, a company as big as we want it to be. And so really for us, it was really about transitioning from three guys building restaurants into three guys building a company and a team who can build restaurants. And so that's why we just had some amazing hires recently from the industry. We've added a gentleman named Dan Lowe from Chipotle. And we've added Rita Ugarte, formerly of Yum Brands, Mimi's Cafe and Hara Cafe. And we really needed to bring in a team of people who uh, had a bigger uh, and, and more expensive skill set than we have so that when we build a plan for 80 or 90 or 100 restaurants, we have an experienced team that can do that. And of course, uh, our team has continued to expand and grow and uh, it feels good. You know, we're really excited. I mean, by the second quarter of 2022, we should be at 15 units, but I think, I think things are going to accelerate quite a bit from there. So we're thrilled. You mentioned the word franchising. Um, I did. So what is it that you're looking for in a franchisee partner and then, you know, really what parts of the country, of the world, do you see the concept working well? Well, first of all, we'd like to be worldwide on every corner, including in a village in India or Africa. <laughs> okay, maybe not so much. Um, you know, we, the fast food industry in the U.S. in 2019 was around $270 billion. 
And the thing I was talking about before is what we call the flexitarian segment. You know, the consumers that are really interested in a healthier version of fast food. So we know that the market opportunity, if, if the flexitarians are 25% and if fast food is 270 billion, the market opportunity is obviously massive. So we were faced with the reality that um, at this kind of, I wouldn't say we're a startup now, but maybe early stage, nobody's going to give us a check for 50 million or 100 million. And if they do, they'll probably fire us off the board. <laughs> we'll probably end up owning like 1% of something. And so in order to begin to address the market opportunity that we saw, we knew that we would need to franchise. And so there was a few steps we needed to do to get there. Number one, we needed to open our own food production facility and simplify our restaurant operations. At first, we were actually building our our burgers, and I'm using my air quotes, chicken products and our sauces and dressings in the back of each restaurant. That's just way too complicated for a franchise unit. So we moved uh, our production offsite, and that's actually expanded uh, twice already. And And we knew that franchisees could capitalize their expansion. So we certainly have a corporate strategy. We're building more corporate restaurants, but we think that to get to 80 or 90 or 100 restaurants, we really will need some good franchise development partners. So in terms of what we're looking for, you know, the first thing we really, we really kind of look for is mission alignment. And, you know, we have a very specific mission in the world and we're certainly not a vegan cult, but we're looking for franchisees that understand what we're doing. And maybe they have a concern either for the animals or maybe for the planet and the environment, or maybe they resonate with the health piece. But we're looking for franchise partners that are excited about offering a new choice to the world. So that's the first thing we're looking for. And of course, the other elements, we're looking for uh, experienced operators. Um, they need to be uh, well capitalized so that they can expand. We're looking for people who want to open up multiple units. We understand that if we invest a year with a franchisee to go through our extensive training program and help them select a site and bond and create this family vibe. We don't want them to open up just one unit. We need to make sure that they're ready to kind of expand their franchise empire, uh, maybe work with us on an area development agreement so that they can really benefit from bringing us to a new market. And we can also benefit from building this relationship with a partner who will help us grow. Now, are you targeting any particular parts of the country right now? Yes. At the moment, you know, we just inked a national distribution deal. So we were somewhat limited until very recently uh, to Southern California. And now uh, we actually have the ability to go anywhere in the country where we can find a good franchise partner and open up at least five or six units. That said, I think that there's always this, um, there's always this tension between being visionary Let's go and open up everywhere. And then like, okay, what about logistics and operations and supply chains? And how many people do I really have to manage all of this? So we are currently expanding in Southern California. Uh, we are opening our first unit in Northern California, and we'll be looking very closely there for another good franchise partner. We're very interested in the Pacific Northwest, and we're also looking in, um, in Arizona, places like Phoenix, um, we've, we've got some, uh, feelers out in Boulder, Colorado and Denver, Colorado. So right now we think that the next big steps are kind of like Western U.S., make sure that we understand our supply chain, make sure that we have the kind of support we need to offer our franchise partners and, you know, take a few little baby steps before we really make a, a big stab at going national. 
in terms of the space and the locations, um, you know, what kind of space do you need? And, you know, are you looking for well-traveled locations? And because of the success of the drive-throughs, are you kind of going to focus on having that capability? Yes. So we love drive-thrus, right? Um, but drive-thrus are hard. So when, whenever we're trying to get a drive-thru, we're kind of competing against the big boys that have really big checkbooks, right? However, we've been very successful so far in getting drive-thrus. So we're going to continue to look for the right drive-thru locations. However, if we don't, if we find a good location with the right demographics, drive-up does very well for us as well. So our main model is indoor and outdoor dining, which you know, as we know, is not happening now, but we believe one day, we hope and pray that this virus will be behind us. So indoor and outdoor dining and either drive through or drive up service that works well for us also. So, you know, you asked a great question and, and I have to tell you that when we first started and we opened our first restaurant in San Diego, I don't think we really understood demographics very well. We went out there and we looked around uh, we were in an area called Ocean Beach, which is kind of like Venice, California. So we saw some yogis and some surfers and some skaters. There was a natural food co-op. We thought, yep, that feels about right. And, you know, we got very lucky. There was a lot of uh, foot traffic, a lot of uh, driving traffic, and it, it did great. And then we opened up our second location about 35 miles north in Encinitas, California. And that was a little bit more like normal families and worker bees, um, little league teams. And we did there as well. Of course, we've learned a lot over the last five years. And, you know, any broker, any real estate broker can plug an address into the computer and tell you what the demographics are. So we've had a lot of success. And as a result of that, we now analyze the demographics of any new location that we want to get into and then compare it to the demographics from our existing locations. And, you know, we have very, very strong top line sales. So, you know, we, we don't think we would go, we do very well next to a 99 cent store as an example. But if we're in a neighborhood where there's a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods or a university or a college or close to a high school, we know that we'll do well based on our current experience. So, uh, we, we, we are collecting data and becoming a little bit more professional than we used to be. So as you expand, in what ways are you going to balance that growth with the quality control that's necessary to produce the food that you do? Well, uh, we'll continue to do one of the things that we do right now. So our corporate and our franchise locations, we are checking for quality all the time. We basically have an auditing procedure, although our new managers who are more enlightened than me said, ah, we don't like the word audit. So let's call it like visit. But basically we are continually going into our both our corporate and our franchise locations. We're analyzing quality. We're looking at service. And, and and both corporate and franchise managers must hit certain metrics. Um, they are graded on a continual basis. We're keeping a close eye on it. And I think this is always one of the concerns, right? If you if you build, you know, 500 units and they're all franchisees, how do you keep an eye on that? I think the answer is finding the balance. So we want to be big and we want to have a social impact. But so far, you know, our reviews are pretty positive and people are having a great experience and they're telling their friends about it. And, you know, Barbara, you're in the restaurant business. So, you know, the moment that that changes, uh, things can go badly very quickly. And so we're really focused on quality and we're hiring people who have done this before. And that's helpful as well. So really building enough team to be supportive and to keep our eyes on the ball. 
But I think that that will be a good question as, you know, I'm sounding like I have all the answers. We really don't have all the answers. So we're going to continue to monitor this as we grow and make sure that the quality stays high because our customers are very devoted. Um, I think it takes years to build trust. It takes one transaction to kind of lose that trust. And so quality is everything. Last question. Um, where do you see the brand five years out? We have a massive vision. And look, you know, when we say we want to be the vegan version of McDonald's, I don't think that in 10 years, anybody's going to be that, right? So, you know, there are some big brand competitors that have been it for 20 or 30 years. They have billions of dollars. We understand that for us to get to the size that we want to be will take time and planning. And of course, we're bringing in a lot of excellent professionals to help us along the way. But within five years, we would like to have at least 85 to 100 units. Uh, but we are looking at other possibilities as well. We understand that from a capital point of view, um, VCs and private equity and people that have been investing in the plant-based space in consumer packaged goods are now beginning to look at this emerging trend in plant-based QSR. And so as capital moves from where it, is, it has traditionally been in the plant-based space and looks for new places to be, um, we understand that capital will be moving towards QSR plant-based. And if we can structure our company correctly, and we're hiring some really good people to help us, we think we might be able to grow much faster than the numbers I'm giving you here. But we do want to be rational and we, we, we need to execute. So one possibility is that in five years, we have 100 units and that would be a thrill. But I think that there's also bigger visions and bigger plans behind that. And we have to understand how do we go from here to there. Well, thank you so much. This has been great to, to hear about uh, about the brand and all your growth plans. Barbara, it's so fun to be part of this. And I just want to add one more is, obviously, we have investors who need to do well. We're trying to t uh, pay our team members very well also. Um, we want this to be super positive for the world. Um, but we want to offer people new possibilities. And so one of the most important things that we've learned is that if you have the right intention and that if you go out there and do it with love, um, everything's possible. Perfect. Thank you so much.